scripture readers and uh, to our musical people. We appreciate your participation. Well, we've come to the main message portion of our service now, so let's get our Bibles out and ready. And we'll start with prayer. Heavenly Father, as we open our Bibles today and turn to some familiar scriptures, we just pray that you'll give us a a new and a, a deeper appreciation of them. Help us to be reminded of who we are in Jesus Christ. We're special to you, and it has nothing to do with anything we've done to deserve it. It's all based on your grace. And we just want to think about and talk a little bit about today, Lord, how uh, we have been blessed through the birth of Jesus Christ and what he did on this earth and what he continues to do for us at the right hand of the Father in heaven. So, Father, please help us now to understand, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, this is the time of year, the Christmas season, when uh, we're flooded with a lot of memories from the past. You know, I, I generally think about my childhood and uh, things that happened when I was young and special Christmases that we celebrated together. I think about uh, being an altar boy in the Catholic Church and some of the services we had at that time and some of the things that happened. And it, it seems that as we think about the past and, and our life this time of year, we think of Christmases past. And, you know, sometimes we have good memories and sometimes we have not so good memories. I know that uh, some of us lost loved ones around this time of the year, and that kind of stands out special, in a special way to you. You know, when Christmas uh, starts to approach, we think, well, yeah, my grandpa died uh, just a couple days before Christmas or a couple days after Christmas. And uh, like I said, there, there are so many different memories that we have, both good and bad. And living in a fallen world, I think that that can be expected because good, good things happen and bad things happen, no matter what time of the year. Uh, what I would like to do today is kind of cut through all the things that surround the meaning of this day. So temporarily, let's, let's put aside our shopping lists and some last-minute shopping that we're thinking about doing. We'll put aside Santa Claus and the elf on the shelf and, and everything else that goes along with, with that Christmas celebration. I mean, th- th- those things are okay. Those things are okay, but we as Christians should uh, be able to just cut through to the kernel of truth that this day is all about. Because we're celebrating something here, and it's something that should be celebrated. Um, We know it and understand it, and thank God for that. Someday the whole world is going to understand. You know, no one knows the exact date of Jesus' birth. We don't know what day of the week he was born on, and we don't know what day of the calendar he was born on. And when you come right down to it, it, that's not really necessary. What's necessary is that he was born. That's what we celebrate. You know, you can argue and say, well, should we celebrate that on December 25th? There's, there's arguments pro and con on that. But I think the important fact is, is that we are celebrating it because it is an event worthy of celebration and commemoration. Uh, I want to turn to uh, John, the Gospel of John, beginning in chapter 1. And thankfully, uh, John, when he wrote his gospel, he gave us some important background information. You know, the other three gospels, which are called the synoptic gospels, because they're very similar in many ways, uh, they either start out with uh, the story of Jesus' birth, as we just read in the gospel of Luke, or it talks about the genealogy of Jesus and who he was descended from and who Mary was descended from and who Joseph was descended from 
And those are important things to know and to understand. But John, by the time he read, wrote his gospel, he was most likely the last of the four gospel writers. Uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke had already been written, and John wrote his the last of, of all four. And when he sat down to write his gospel account, he was inspired by the Holy Spirit to not tell the story of Jesus' birth because it had already been told in other gospels. He did not write about the genealogy of Mary and Joseph and therefore Jesus because that had already been written. He gave us some important background information because at the time Jesus, uh, or at the time I should say John wrote his gospel, there was a lot of controversy about Jesus. Uh, Jesus had departed, he had ascended back up into heaven and his followers uh, and others started to question, well, now who exactly was this man? Was he a prophet? Was he a great teacher? What was he? Even though Jesus had proclaimed that he was the Son of God, not everybody got that, and some people doubted that, and some people questioned it. And all, all of a sudden, some uh, false teachings came about, and what is called heresies started to arise. So John felt the need, as he started writing his gospel, to go way back, <laughs> to tell the story of exactly who Jesus was and is. So he took it as far back as you possibly can. He starts his gospel by telling us the story of the pre-existence of Jesus before he ever arrived on this earth, born of a virgin in the town of Bethlehem, that he actually has always existed. Okay, he's the son of God and he came down to this earth, but his birth in Bethlehem was not the beginning of Jesus. He had already pre-existed eternally. So that's where John starts his gospel and this is what he says. John chapter 1 verse 1, in the beginning, so way back, now God never had a beginning. He says beginning for our sakes to kind of give us something to, to hang on to in our understanding. So this was before the earth was ever created, before the universe was ever created. Way back when, in the beginning, was the Word. Now that's Logos. It stands for Jesus Christ, or the Son of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, the Father, and the Word was God. So in this one statement, it's just power-packed. Because, you know, the Jews for so long had been monotheists. There's one God. And all of a sudden now John is introducing a thought here that this Jesus Christ in the beginning was with God and he was God. How can that be? Well, as we know, you know, we take for granted the Holy Spirit has helped us to understand by the revelation of Jesus Christ that we worship one God who is three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So the God that we worship, we worship one God, but he exists in three different persons, or hypostases, as it says in the Greek, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We worship the Father, Son, Holy Spirit God. He's one God, but he is in three persons. So you can have a Father, God the Father, and you can have the Word, the Son of God, who became Jesus Christ. So this is what, what John is trying to explain. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So he is divine. He wasn't just a man. 
He's divine. He's God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, through Jesus Christ, or the Word, through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. So Jesus is actually the Creator, the Word, the Logos. He is the one who's responsible for creating everything that exists. Verse 4, In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, so that's Jesus, the light of God, shining in a darkened world. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. And you know, to this day, there are people who doubt that Jesus Christ was God or that he ever existed. Because we live in darkness. We live in a darkened world with no understanding. And you know what? We understand because God's light shines in our lives. He has given us understanding. Uh, he talks in verse 6 about John the Baptist and his role of being the forerunner of Jesus and proclaiming you know, his ministry. But notice, let's pick it up in verse 9. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, that's you and me, to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that's who we are today. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. So we have been born again, and now leading spirit-led lives because of Jesus. So verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father full of grace and truth. So there's a term that describes what happened here. And the term is incarnation. Incarnation. And it's a word that we should be familiar with. The word literally means taking on flesh. And that's what God did. The Word of God, or the Son of God, at some point in time, about 2,000 years ago, through a miracle, took on flesh. He became human. And as a human being, starting as a little baby, he was fully man and fully God. So he's the only individual throughout all history that had that designation. And he continues in that designation. He is still fully man and fully God. So that's what incarnation means. And it's a tremendous miracle, and it was done for a purpose. It's something that God had planned before the earth was even created. And the reason it was planned early on is because God knows not only the past, but he knows the future. You know, God knew that when he created this earth and put human beings on it, that they would sin and that they would distance themselves from God. And you know what? God loves us very much. And he was not content to continue on in a broken relationship with the human race that he created. So early on, he already came up with a plan as to what was going to happen. You know, in the book of Revelation, it describes Jesus as the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. 
So at the time that the world was created, God already knew that we were all going to sin, starting with Adam and Eve, and that we were going to need a Savior. So the plan didn't just happen for Jesus to become human and come down to this earth. It didn't just happen at the last minute. And it didn't happen uh, when Adam and Eve sinned. It already was a plan that was in place, ready to be acted out and lived out. So, I think you can put it this way, the divine maker became one of his own creatures, if your mind can kind of grasp that. Jesus Christ created everything, and the decision was made that he would become one of us. He would become us, fully man and fully God. Now, I don't think that we can imagine what it would be like for God, the Son of God in this instance, who has lived forever, he is eternal, he had no beginning and he'll have no end, at some point in time to decide to become human. Boy, we think we have some hard situations to deal with in our lives and hard things to grasp and hard things to handle and situations that are almost imaginable, unimaginable. What would it be like to be God and all of a sudden to decide, you know what, I'm going to go down to this earth and I'm going to become one of them. It took a lot, I think, on Jesus' part. In fact, uh, he's kind of described here in Philippians. Let's turn there, Philippians 2, beginning in verse 5. This whole process of the incarnation is kind of described here, and it kind of gives you an idea of what uh, Jesus Christ went through to accomplish this. Of, first of all, being God in all glory for all eternity, and then to kind of put that glory aside and to humble yourself and come down to earth to be born in this violent and fallen world. I like the way Paul says it here in Philippians 2, verse 5. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Now notice the way he describes Jesus here. Who being in very nature God, as John just explained to us, He's always been God and always will be. He did not consider equality with God something to hang on to. So he was willing to put aside all the glory, everything that he has experienced forever as being the Son of God, he was willing to put that aside to come down to earth because it had to be put aside. He was still God, but all of the good things, all of the great things about being God he put them aside. He did not consider equality with God something to hang on to, but made himself nothing. <laughs> and I always have to laugh when I read that verse because he's describing the comparison between being God and being one of us. He made himself nothing. <laughs> That's what we are compared to God. We're nothing by comparison but we've got great potential. And God created us that way. He made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. So that's what it's like to go from being God with all his glory to coming down to this earth to be one of us, to be born in the darkness and dirt of this earth wrapped in some cloths and placed in a manger and a stable 
wow, what he had to give up for this process, what he had to put aside to come down to this earth to become one of us, to place himself on this dangerous earth, this dangerous society. He says in verse 8, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So don't forget he started this off by saying our attitude should be the same of Christ Jesus. A humble, serving attitude. Verse 9, therefore, because of what Jesus went through, because of becoming human and dying on the cross, therefore, verse 9, God has exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So Jesus Christ will be the first one to say, you know what? It's the Father who deserves the glory for all this. Even though he humbled himself and became like a servant to the point of dying on the cross, Jesus always says, no, pass, pass your praise on to the Father. He's the one who really deserves it. We feel that both Jesus and the Father deserve it, and the Holy Spirit, too, for that matter, because he played a, a role in this whole uh, story. So that's what this day pictures. Like I said, putting, putting aside all the, uh, the, the junk that accompanies this, this celebration season, this is the, the kernel of truth that we're reminded of and that we dwell on. And we should never get carried away with all of the merchandising and the, all of the, uh, 